Welcome to the Unboxing Your Packaging podcast, where we pop packaging out of the box thanks to the shared experience of inspiring businesses and experts. I am Colleen Regou from Look for Loops. My passion is to optimize the use of resources and designing out waste. This show aims to help you redesign, reuse, and recover your packaging. Do you know the difference between bio-based, biodegradable, and compostable packaging? When does it make sense to choose compostable packaging instead of recyclable packaging? Is there a label to communicate to customers what to do when they don't need their packaging anymore? That's a sample of what Lovacy Shelley, doctor in chemistry, will address in this episode. As the founder and technical director of Regenerative Waste Labs, she is testing the biodegradation of companies' products on multiple levels. And as the principal consultant of Ray to Green Sustainable Solutions, she is supporting innovations and advising on bio-based material available on the market. I hope you will enjoy this episode as much as I did. Let's start. Welcome, Essie, at the Unboxing Your Packaging podcast. Uh, for those who have uh, already listened to the previous episode with Louis Strauss from Recycling Alternative, she mentioned your name uh, because you are working together on one project. And it was funny because I knew even before that I wanted you on the podcast. And when she mentioned it, I was smiling because the invitation was on its way. So here you are, and thank you for saying yes, Essie. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. I would like to start with your scientific side. Uh, you obtained a PhD in chemistry from the University of British Columbia. And I am curious, since how long have you found an interest in sustainability and how deep it was incorporated into your curriculum? Uh, is that something you had to fight for? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So I guess I've always had a passion for science um, and, and, and using science as a way to solve our, you know, our problems in, in, the, in a global scale. Um, I think that's, yeah, so like even since I was a young person, I was frustrated about the amount of like plastic waste we saw in our environment and the amount of oil that was leaking into our into our oceans through um, you know different oil spills and things like that. So I, I was very conscious when I was choosing my PhD project that I wanted to do something that would help the environment in some way or another. But you know this this idea of sustainability and you know circular economy and things like that didn't really I didn't understand them fully. Um, so I was really just like, you know, I was young and naive as we all are, I guess, especially when you go into grad school. But yeah, I just found a project where I thought, you know, it sounded good. We were making biodegradable plastics and we were just finding, making, um, you're making these materials and trying to understand their properties so they could be used in broader society. So I was like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. Um, so yeah, my project has always been kind of, or my PhD work was very much centered around green chemistry, sustainable science. But as I mentioned, like I didn't really know what that fully meant. And so it wasn't until my later years in grad school. So when I was like my fourth or fifth year, 
but I really started to deep dive into those topics and and bit and try to better understand like what is green chemistry, and um, yeah. So I, I remember I think it was actually my third year. I went ended up I don't know. I just found this like this random workshop that was going on for a couple of days before a conference that I wanted to go to. And I asked my PhD mentor uh, supervisor if it was okay for me to to sign up and go. And so the conference was around about industrial ecology and with a focus on chemistry. So some of the topics were like critical metals. And so how there are some metals in the periodic table that actually, you know, are we're running out of them in the Earth's crust. And, you know, if we're using, for example, palladium or platinum as catalysts for our reactions. But if those metals are actually not going to be you know, on this Earth for very long. Like, does it actually make sense for our for our um, for our chemical processes to be utilizing uh, molecules which have those metals in them? And so we're really thinking like critically, you know, about yeah, like just you know, how can we design our experiments so that we're so we're not exacerbating some of these resource issues that are occurring on our planet today? So that was really interesting and eye-opening. And I was like, wow, I've never actually thought about this. We actually have to think about how that that research process may potentially exacerbate or you know perpetuate different types of sustainability issues in our in our society so that was really cool and then I also um at this you know the year after I was able to be part of a green chemistry conference and I was really inspired that year to come back to my university and start our green chemistry student group and so yeah I got like a bunch of excited students involved and we kind of put together all these different events and these educational little sessions to try to get more of the graduate students excited about green chemistry and what that really means and so that group is still going today which is really exciting and so yeah and at the same time I was also just like thinking more about science and like how science is really, you know, everyone talks about how science is this great tool that we can use to solve our sustainability problems. But then at the same, in the same breath within our society, um, you know, people aren't trusting scientists, so they don't believe the science and things like that. So I started to really think about communicating science and, you know, what is it about, you know, how do we translate our dense technical knowledge into something that is tangible and digestible by, you know, the common person or like, you know, whoever it is that we're trying to convince to, to do something sustainable. And so, yeah, so all of those different kind of experiences, both on the technical side, the green chemistry side, and, and kind of communicating science side led me to really just to kind of think about not just, just think about how science is more broadly applied in society. Because, uh, you know, we can't just like create technologies to solve our problems. We have to think about how those technologies can be appropriately positioned within our marketplace and within our, our broader uh, cultural context to make sure that, that the technologies are actually solving the problems they're, not, they're supposed to and not just creating more problems and external, uh, externalities down the line. Yeah, it was like a lot of learning, um, but yeah, it all comes back to the fact that I still love you know, doing research in a lab and, and getting my hands dirty and things like that. But yeah, also recognizing that we have to figure out ways to actually bring people into that conversation and into that research to actually make, yeah, more guided decisions, um, and more inclusive and equitable decisions too. Thank you. It's, I want to build on what you said, because perhaps our audience pictures your activity constrained by the environment of a lab. And I know that you do that, but you also like being on the field. So what does that mean when you mention field? That what are you doing on the field that you are not doing in the lab and vice versa? Yeah, that's a great question. I guess in the lab, like my research at the moment is around 
how can we accelerate the biodegradation of compostable plastics so that we can create on-site technologies to convert the waste rather than relying on large-scale industrial compost facilities to manage that waste. And so to, in order to be able to do this, we have to accelerate the degradation of compostable plastics so to exceed the current certification standards. And so a lot of the work that I do is really about understanding what types of compostable plastics are in the marketplace today understanding their chemical nature and the and the properties of their of the polymeric chains and then finding different ways both environmental chemical and physical to accelerate that degradation process uh, on those chains and so yeah so in the lab in a lab based setting we're doing much more controlled and precise science. So by that, I kind of mean like we're taking very controlled amounts of compostable plastics. We're adding, you know, different types of additives and supplements to that mixture. And we're using chemical analysis to understand, you know, how much of that polymer chain, the long polymer chain is being broken apart and quantifying the amount of degradation products um, within the medium that we're investigating. I feel like I'm getting a bit technical, but I'm just trying, trying to explain it. But uh, so we're doing like very like kind of small scale lab based things just to kind of get an indication of whether or not our processes are actually working. But then we apply that primary research into a larger scale vessel. So we have at the lab, we've designed these, they're about 20 liter, they're bioreactors or uh, thermophilic aerobic digesters, if you will. Um, so we put compost, food waste and compostable plastics inside, as well as our additive solutions. And then we, we monitor the degradation that we see uh, within those reactors. And so in that respect, you know, we're, we're literally putting our hands to this compost and pulling out pieces of plastic, measuring like how much fragmentation we see um, and things like that. It's still like, you know, lab-based science, but it's on a slightly bigger scale than like our primary um, work. And then the goal is to then go into a larger kind of like maybe 300 liter or 500 liter machine. And then once again, figure out whether or not the processes that we're, that we're researching are actually going to work. And then we partnered with a company who makes these machines. And so the idea is to then, once again, apply our research into a, a commercializable machine that people can then start to sell and buy and, and all that cool stuff. So, yeah, we're kind of, the Waste Labs is at the beginning of the research and development pipeline to really try to help to streamline the development of waste management technologies into the marketplace. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. And Actually, you mentioned several terms like biodegradation, uh, compost, and so on. And I noticed that most people feel confused about what is bio-based or biodegradable. Or does it make the product compostable in some way? Are there different terms to speak about the same thing? All these kind of questions, you know. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? What's is the difference yeah. between all these terms? I definitely can, yes. And I appreciate people's confusion. We haven't done a good job of differentiating between the materials that are out there today. So, yeah, so I'm sure many people have heard of the blanket catch-all term that is bioplastic. And so it's like, okay, yeah, it's a bioplastic. But that's not a very good describing word because a bioplastic, that term can be broken up into a bio-based plastic or a biodegradable plastic. So a bio-based plastic is derived from materials that have been extracted from biomass, essentially. So that's biomass that can be from the forestry uh, industry, from the agricultural industry, food waste, for example, or even fisheries and marine industries as well. So all of those materials are biological 
you know, mass or biological materials. And so, yeah, so if your plastic is made from any of those starting materials, then it's a bio-based material. On the other side of things, like that's a terminology that um, it describes the beginning of life or where that product comes from. Whereas uh, biodegradation is a term which describes the end of life. So where that material can go after it's been used. And so biodegradable also isn't a very good definition because technically everything in this world is biodegradable. If you have the right time scale and the right temperature conditions, like even our bones will degrade at some point, right? So not to be too morbid, but that's kind of what it is. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so just saying, oh, it's biodegradable. It's just like, okay, well, does it biodegrade in a hundred years or three years? Like there's no, we have to make some sort of differentiation there. And so that's why in the marketplace today, people are mostly talking about uh, certified industrially compostable. So, you know, we're making a, a very specific claim about the environment in which that product can de degrade. So, you know, within our marketplace, there also are soil degradable materials as well as marine degradable materials. And so it's just really important to kind of make that that further distinction um, of that biodegradation behavior to encompass an environment and a time frame as well. Um, so, yeah, but unfortunately, those I've described pretty much a multitude of materials. They've all just called bioplastics. So um, it can be very confusing. So I definitely hear that. And I, I, I commiserate with the, the listeners to, to their confusion in this space as well. Yeah, thank you. So a big difference between the origin, the beginning of life and the end of life. And even in the end of life, it's different kind of uh, compostability, I will say. <laughs> okay, that's, uh, that's a great clarification. And also, it's not easy to understand as well the landscape of what is happening to this material at the end of life, because under compostable, it's also industrial compost, uh, anaerobic digestion, home compost as well, right? And so would you aim for a specific end of life for the packaging that your clients are submitting to you, for example, at a regenerative uh, waste lab? Well, what will be your suggestion or what is the aim? What are you looking for uh, for the end of the life of this kind of uh, packaging? Yeah, it's a very important thing to consider when we're like when you know companies and, and and entities are trying to design for different types of products and packaging. So what I'm always counseling my uh, my clients about is there's lots of products in the marketplace which may like you know they may seem like the cool green sustainable thing um, and you know that's often what they marketed to look like but we really have to be more conscious about the materials that we use and so the idea really is is that we're matching the materials use to the appropriate end of life so if a material for example is being used in the farming application it's being used in like as a food packaging so it's getting covered with some sort of organic material it's really hard to clean and wash and separate from like just like the the general you know the organics that it's kind of being embodied with uh, then that material should be compostable because it makes sense like if all mixed in together with some sort of organics it's, there's no point trying to put in all that labor to try to separate everything you might as well make it all compostable it can all go in the same place and that's that's great well, whereas if you have like something like a plastic bottle or some sort of packaging, which can be very easily cleaned of organics, then those should be designed to be recycled. Because once again, if we're able to get that material back and put it back into a circular loop, 
then we should be trying to do that rather than trying to compost it because composting is a relatively long cycle. You know, we're, we're breaking it down back to its like molecular components. We're putting it into the soil. We're then growing another plant on it and we're using that plant to capture the CO2 that was generated in, its, in the entire production and manufacturing cycle. Yeah, so you're really, you're returning that material to the earth. And so you're kind of taking it out of the, the active economy uh, to be harvested again, maybe 10, 15 years later. Whereas if you're recycling it, and there's obviously a variety of different recycling and kind of closed loop directions we can go in, but that material be, can be more readily and quickly utilized in our economy um, and to keep that kind of cycle moving a bit faster. And so, yeah, so really depending on, on the application, and the business would know, you know, they've obviously the market research, they know what their product is being designed to do. They should be able to determine whether or not recycling makes sense, reuse makes sense, composting makes sense or whatever. And so, yes, we're really just, so at the Waste Lab, they're just trying to um, encourage people to just be a bit more conscious about what end of life they're designing for. Because, you know, if, if you design something to be compostable, but it doesn't actually make sense that it should go into the composting pile, then the people at the end of that, you know, the compost operators are going to be like, why is this here? It's not adding value to my to my pipe, right? And so we're really just trying to make it easier for everyone in the supply chain to, to manage that material. Okay, so I guess that with your other hat as a consultant, uh, you are tackling the problem at the source of the business, saying like, okay, you have this kind of material and what kind of solution are out there that you can use? So because you have generative waste labs and you have as well gray to green sustainable solution, right? Yes, that's right. And so how do you manage to bring your clients to this kind of level of consciousness? Uh, are you using some metrics in terms of results to evaluate or assess some packaging? How, how do you make your work back and forth of a packaging good for you, for your technical problem and good for the end life and in the process, how does it look like and so on? Yeah, and that's a really challenging thing as well, especially being a relatively early stage startup as well as trying to educate, you know, the broader industry to kind of figure out that the way they've been doing, the way that people are currently thinking about this problem is not entirely correct. And so, yeah, it's definitely challenging. So through the Waste Labs, we're kind of focusing on that um, knowledge mobilization, a portion of things at the moment. Uh, we're trying to, we've developed a, a series of workshops to kind of get people on the same page about what it takes to, to create the environment for sustainable packaging to actually come about. So the idea behind that is like, we first have to give a lot of people the same foundational information for them to grow upon. And right now we haven't really seen that type of training available in the marketplace, or at least within the Canadian ecosystem, perhaps. And so we just want to be able to su su supply that, for example. So, yeah, so it's just like, okay, exactly what I've been saying. Like, how do we, how do we really conceptualize what sustainability means when it comes to packaging and other materials? And how do we then work in partnership with our supply chain and the people who are producing the products that we want to use and the people who are managing those products and the consumer as well? How do we all work together to kind of make sure that those products are ending up at the end of life that they're supposed to? And so that's really what we've been focusing on as more of that ecosystem building type thing. With individual strategies for our clients, it's more about 
because there's multiple things, you know, at the end of the day, these are businesses and, you know, they have, there's lots of things to consider for these businesses. It's also like the cost, um, you know, the transportation, there's lots of kind of what we're really trying to counsel is, you know, first of all, designing for the appropriate end of life. And then secondly, trying to get the businesses to understand that sustainability is a goal that we have to constantly be striving for. There's no state of a sustainability within our current system. Um, there's always like shades of green or trade-offs that we have to, to have to, you know, to make the steps towards true sustainability. And so in that respect, it really depends on which metrics the company or the brand values the most. So is it greenhouse gases? Is it water use? Is it land use? Is it deforestation and biodiversity loss? Depending on what your brand is talking about and what makes the most sense for the vision of that company, they may want to choose which one of those, um, those metrics are most impactful for them to be looking at and to be adjusting. And so, yeah, so it's kind of a, it's a delicate balance, really. It's a balance between what is the most sustainable option, sustainable in, in quotations, with regards to the different metrics that we could be using. And there's kind of an infinite number of them these days, and which is what makes it so challenging. There's always something to be improved on, as my mother would say, when I came home with a, a, a bad report card or even a good one. Um, so there's always, there's always room for improvement, uh, but we have to make a start somewhere. And I'm just saying like the best way to start is to first design for the appropriate end of life and then start to look at which of these green metrics make the most sense for you to try to improve within your supply chain. Great. And it made me think about the fact that there is the supply chain, the client, the perspective of the end of use, but in between there is also the consumer <laughs> and you're not specifically sure about what they will do and by hearing you about uh, oh if it's contaminated by food maybe it's better to have like a compostable thing and uh, and so on and I think I, I guess right tell me if it's the case that you won't uh, recommend to put more work on the customer uh, side such as separate material or wash and so, uh, etc And I am wondering if there are some certifications or label that will be helpful to reach your customer in a good way that's at the end of the process, because they have the material in their hands, they will do the right thing. So what do you think about that? Yes, I mean, it's, it's always hard. I mean, we both as business owners and consultants are also consumers. And so I think that like most of the people listening realize that even in their day-to-day -day lives, it's very difficult to determine what the heck I should do with this thing that I have now. I also try to make it clear to people that individuals can't be their best selves in every, at every moment of every day. You know, like even me, it's like I go and get these, these coffee cups from the Tim Hortons or whatever, and I'm just like, oh, I should be better. But we can't always be that perfect, sustainable human as much as we really want to. And we can't continue to feel bad about it every single moment because, you know, it's all doom and gloom. We're just, we're trying our best. It's kind of the thing. And so, as you said, it's like, how do we make it as easy as possible for the consumer and enable them with things like labels to like make it really easy for them to, to know what the heck is going on. And so there are a couple of labeling formats that I'm, that I think are really useful. They're from an organization called Green Blue and also like a similar sister organization or parent, I'm not sure, called the Sustainable Packaging Coalition. Both of them are, are nonprofits out of the U.S., but they have a labeling guideline called howtorecycle.info, I believe it's called. Um, 
And so, yeah, so on that recycling label, it's, it's pretty cool. It's really embedded with a lot of information to help the consumer to know what to do with it. So at the top, it kind of has like a little box which says what you're supposed to do with that package. Like I see it everywhere now, actually, now that I've kind of started looking for it. But for example, it might say um, empty and wash before recycling or remove the plastic outer label before recycling. So it just tells you how to prepare that product for recycling. And then underneath it will have a recycling logo, the Mobius loop. And inside that, there might be other directions like store drop-off, or it might just be like not recyclable or something like that. So that will give you a bit more information about how to actually go about recycling it. And finally, at the bottom, there's like another little box which says like what the product is made out of, paper, metal, plastic, for example. And then underneath that is another little box which says like can or film or bottle. So it just tells you the what that product is made of and what that product is or what that label is pertaining to. So for example, on a multi, you know, on some packaging which has both a plastic window and a paper box, for example, you could have a couple of these little logos next to each other to tell you what's do with each component of that packaging, which I think is really effective. So yeah, and they have a similar one called howtocompost.info. And so there's one for compostable materials as well. And so, yeah, so it's just like, it's really simple. It's just like a small little box tells you all the information that you need. And it's just like, you just have to continue to tell your customers through your messaging on your website or however you can get across to them. Like just look for this label. This will tell you exactly what to do with that product. So whether or not they'll listen to the labels or they'll actually do those things is another thing that's very difficult to control. But I think that's where further incentivization programs uh, may come into play, like a deposit return scheme or, or other things like that, um, which may, like once again, further incentivize the customer, the customer or consumer to to actually go about those steps to make sure that their product is properly disposed of or recovered. Oh, yeah, that's. That's great. I will surely put the links uh, in the show notes. I, I like that. <laughs> to make it clear, at least if you want to do right, <laughs> you have the info without having to read a bunch of information, right? Yes. Keep it simple. Yeah. One of my last questions I really wanted to ask you is, if you have a magic wand, would you um, imagine a regulation that will help your work, the work of your clients, and even the behavior of the end consumer? Oh, that's a tricky one. I mean, kind of need like multiple magic ones for many regulations, <laughs> I guess. Um, but if there was just one, I mean, the one which came to mind doesn't really have much to do with what I do. It's just like what I think is what people in Vancouver and Canada need to do. So it's around the plastic bag bans, especially in the city of Vancouver. So we had this plastic bag ban, which was supposed to, plastic bag ban, it's very difficult to say, that was supposed to come into effect, I think it was January of 2020, but due to COVID that got pushed back to, I think even now January of 2022, but this keeps getting pushed back and back. And so I just found it to be annoying and frustrating that they keep pushing back this plastic bag ban because it's not, so one of the things that what many businesses are talking about is how they want, they need to get rid of their surplus stock. You know, if there's going to be a bag ban, it has to be a, a future enough for them to be able to get rid of all the materials that they already have, because if they seem to be like, you know, giving out these bags now, it's bad, they could get fined. And so for me, I was just like, well, why don't they have like start the plastic bag ban now, but only 
but ban the importing of plastic bags, but not the giving out of plastic bags. So that would allow companies to give out their surplus. And it would also allow individuals to start hoarding plastic bags. Because, I mean, we all have a bag full of bags in our you know, kitchens because we all get these bags and you can just stick them in there and it's fine. But, you know, if we give people a year or a large opportunity to go and like to get all those bags, have them in their home so they can now start to be like, this is the last plastic bags we're ever going to have. I have like 50 in my house now that have to use them sparingly and only use them for the best applications. Then, you know, we're actually starting to say like, this is happening, everybody, like get get ready for it because it's going to happen. People are going to run out of bags because they're now hoarding them in their own homes. Anyway, that's just like a thought that I had, which I thought would be like, if we, if we just did this, then people would like, you know, people to recognize that they need plastic bags because you know the other day I was, I was out camping this is like a big aside but I think it's an interesting example of how important plastics are at, at a certain point we were camping for the first time me and my partners and we forgot to bring our rope for our tarpaulin that we were going to put up and create a little shelter for ourselves and we were like like what do we do but we had so many plastic bags um, that we'd used that we had there so what I did is like I got us sort of sit down together and we did a little arts and crafts session so we cut the bags into strips and we braided them and we put them all together. We were able to make these really great high, like high strength ropes that we were able to put up our top hole and be like, oh, we've done it. We're fantastic. So, <laughs> you know, but it's things like that, right? It's just like plastic bags are useful for not just as bags. Even if they rip, you can then, you know, use your ingenuity as a community, as an individual to reuse that bag in different ways and then to make it into something that's more durable and long lasting. So if we have policies and initiatives around helping people understand how this plastic waste can be actually be used in creative and innovative ways that will add value to their homes and reduce costs associated with buying ropes for camping or whatnot, you know, that's a really, that's a great opportunity to showcase to people that one, plastic can, is so versatile and durable, it can be used in lots of different ways. And two, to be able to, to allow people to, to see the value of plastic or the value of that waste. It's like, oh, if you finish using, for example, your glass jars for your pasta that you bought, instead of putting it in the recycling bin, why don't you turn it into a terrarium that you can put your plants into and you can grow like grow tomatoes out of this jar that you have because now you've created this planter. I feel like if there was more policies and initiatives to help people understand that the waste that we use isn't waste, but can be very easily repurposed into something that can then support urban agriculture or supporting our local food systems or whatever it is, that would be much more beneficial than just saying, oh, we're banning this and just leaving that conversation at that. Like there's so much more that we can be getting out of this conversation than just like plastics are bad. We should just stop using them rather than we should start using them more and more effective and, and creative and innovative ways yeah that's that's what I think I guess kind of from from that question uh but with regards to like I guess policies to help the industry in general I think more focus on waste and like and and ways to effectively I guess it's the same thing how do we can we effectively manage waste both on the individual home scale and also on like a more broader systemic you know supply chain scale as well yeah, wow. <laughs> I, I loved your anecdote. <laughs> Repurposing and yeah, definitely reuse. It's a big thing. And having that in mind and helping people to go um, that way and shape their mindsets is a whole thing. We are coming at the end of our interview and I was wondering because I know that you are working in partnership with several organizations and other business. I was wondering what kind of other key enablers or 
partners you would like to build more in, in the future? And yes. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic question and something I've been thinking deeply about as well. I feel like the circular economy sustainability is all about collaboration. Like we can't really do, we can't make the effective change that we're looking for as an individual person or individual business. Like we have to kind of bring in more voices to that conversation. And like through the Waste Labs and through my consulting even, um, we're taking the position of, I guess, like approachable scientists is kind of the terminology that I use. So, you know, as researchers, we generate a lot of data. We're also very good at, at, at like seeking out information and mobilizing or translating that knowledge in different ways. And so that's really all we do. We translate it into, you know, mar- assets for our for our clients in different ways or another. And so, yeah, so for me, I'm just, I'm pretty much agnostic. I'm like, I'm happy to work with anybody who wants to use biomaterials in one way or another. But, you know, I'd love to talk to, to more people in agriculture about both about how we could might be able to use use agricultural waste as feedstocks for materials, as well as how those materials can then be used as like, for example, nutrients for agricultural production. So that like, that's kind of a, its own little closed circle there, as well as like, that's can also go for marine life and fisheries. Like I find it to be very interesting about if you're using like, for example, fishing nets, which are made out of like the molecules that are in crustacean shells and those nets are lost in the ocean, if those molecules can then be, that kind of means that those molecules are being returned into the ocean ecosystem, which is where they came from. And so once again, we might be able to create a closed loop uh, within that ecosystem and, and potential molecules that need to be in that ecosystem. So that's another interesting kind of direction that I'd like to go into. And yeah, so those like at the moment, um, my focus is on packaging and and food packaging in this um, in particular generally. But yeah, so once we kind of figure out you know, good strategies within that um, that industry or that sector, I'd love to be able to branch out to others as well. I'm excited <laughs> to see what will come for the future for you. So what would you suggest to business to do better? I mean, I know that's a broad question, but I will say <laughs> essential tips or mistake to avoid. Maybe do you have a call to action to share with your audience? Yeah, I guess the call to action would be just to to start well, start or continue to think really critically about whether or not compostability makes sense for your products, whether or not recycling makes sense, or whether you can even redesign so your products and or packaging to be more reusable. And so, yeah, like, obviously I'm, I'm here for, for anybody who needs that type of help or guidance. Um, that's what we do. It's just, I guess we often fall into this pitfall where we see something like it's optically very sustainable. It's very green. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to go for that option because it seems like the best thing. It's going to get my customers excited. It's like, that's all fine and dandy. But I, I personally believe it's better to, to make it that more conscious decision to choose really specifically what the end of life should be. And then bring your customers into that conversation with you. Be like, this is why I decided this, that, and the other thing. And so that way your customers now know, oh, this, you know, this is a good option for end of life, but it may not be the best one for all applications. And so just like getting getting yourself and your, your customers and clients, everyone in that conversation about what actually makes sense. And, and that's a good way for us all to kind of like move towards not just like greenwashing and talking about sustainability, but actually putting sustainability into action. I think they have food here <laughs> to, to, to nourish their, their toad. And my last question are always the same as 
what would you recommend as a book or article, report, or even a video or whatever you find super inspiring and that we can recommend them? That's a great question. And I actually was speaking about this to my friend recently. I was reading this book on systems thinking. Uh, you may have read it as well, Colleen. Um, let me just bring up the picture so you know what it was called. It's called Thinking in Systems by De Daniela H. Meadows. I just found it to be fascinating. Like, you know, we've, we've both been in the circular economy space for a while. And, you know, I've been thinking about all these ideas and being like, oh, I wish, like, just wanting a bit more information. But I just found that this book really put things into perspective. It was very digestible and, and easy to read. I've been reading it every morning with my breakfast just to get the ideas about circularity for my day. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely recommend that book, Thinking in Systems. So I can definitely share that, uh, that information so you can put in the show notes too. Yeah, great. Thank you. And I have another tricky one. Okay. <laughs> Would you like to address a burning question to a next guest? Whatever it will be, a designer or a scientist or producer, a business, whatever. So it can be specific or broad, and I will try to fit it into one of our next interview. Okay, let me think of one. A burning question for the next guest. I guess, oh, this might be a tricky one, but like, what do they see as the best opportunities in for new technologies, like really emerging ones like blockchain and things like that? I'd love to hear what other people think. I don't know, like blockchain is kind of like this weird thing that no one really knows what what's, what's going on, but... Uh, I'd love to hear what people think. If that's even on their radar at the moment, it would be really interesting too. Oh, great. Thank you. And, and I guess we can find you on your website. Yes. Are you active on social media or do you want to share where you, we can find you or get in touch? For sure. I'm most active on LinkedIn and on Instagram uh, through the Regenerative Waste Labs. And I think both of those are just at Regenerative Waste Labs. So you can definitely find us there. Yeah, those are the two main ones. And then through my the website as well, which is regionwastelabs.com. Perfect. I will put that on the show notes as well. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Etty. And Thank you. I'm excited to see the work you will do <laughs> in the future as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited to see it too. <laughs> I hope you have enjoyed this episode. And if it's the case, be sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts and leave us a five stars review to help for its visibility. You also probably have at least two or three friends or colleagues to share this episode with. Of course, feel free to get in touch by the lookforloops.com website or drop me a line on Colin Regou LinkedIn profile. Last but not least, be sure to check the show notes with the links and resources. Until next time.